0: hello and welcome to the cre with cbc worldwide podcast this is tom hershey from cbc my guest today is brian wood of bc wood properties lexington whoa that's a tough one lexington kentucky native <laughs> brian wood founded bc wood properties in 1994 investing in shopping centers that serve middle class america together with his team they've transformed over 5 million square feet of underutilized retail real estate into prop- profitable community serving investments brian joins us today to discuss retail real estate looking at both investment strategies and market fundamentals Brian, thank you for joining us today. Um, You know, early in the pandemic, there was a lot of concern about the future of uh, retail real estate, lots of doom and gloom, but uh, more recently, it seems that many types of retail are actually flourishing. So hopefully you can shed some light on the current state of the retail market, while also speaking about what makes your firm BC Wood properties different. So let's get started. Would you kick us off a little by telling us more About what you do and what it was about retail real estate that enticed you into launching your firm.
1: Tom, first of all, I just really uh, appreciate you having me on today. I appreciate uh, everybody kind of tuning into this podcast, Uh, appreciate their time. Uh, Tom, I got a couple of things to go over with you today, and I hopefully shed some light on some of the questions, but in brief, as a short background, we're a P.C. Properties was started uh, almost 28 years ago um, we for a vertically integrated uh, full service operator of community and neighborhood shopping centers. And 28 years ago, I, I started the company uh, with relationships in mind. I enjoy uh, the relationship business, uh, not only with uh, the brokerage community, but uh, lenders, tenants, investors, and everybody we touch uh, each day um and and secondly it's something different uh <laughs> something different every day there's there's no opportunity to get bored uh being a full service operator uh, we touch and feel uh each property all the time and there's always uh, certain issues i come to work every day with a, a to-do list and hopefully i try to get through uh, half of it um but currently uh we're operating uh within a fund format. Uh, We're on our third fund. Uh, We started first one in 2012 and the second one 2015 and we just completed our third fund raise of over uh, 100 million in equity with institutional uh, type investors. So we're in that format right now and it's wild and crazy.
0: Well. that's that's an interesting start to the business um i I agree uh you know when i started in commercial real estate i didn't even consider retail um i looked at apartment buildings because i lived in an apartment i'm like this makes total sense um but the the retail world seems to be one of the more dynamic worlds within the commercial real estate um market You know, as I previously mentioned earlier, when the pandemic started, there was a ton of concern. I mean, we've read retailers closing, um, restaurants closing. What types of retail development or retail assets have proven to be the most steady or profitable even in the face of, you know, Closures due to the pandemic, the the explosive growth of e-commerce. Uh, you know, I have uh, friends and family that maybe don't understand that there are actually stores you can go to anymore. That uh, you know, <laughs> it's not just time. it's not just Amazon. Um, there's actually a brick and mortar store. So so what have you seen? What what out there is uh, really proving to be um, the stalwart? Well.
1: Covid and it was definitely a, a roller coaster ride, and you had the uh, headwinds of e-commerce uh, before Covid even uh, entered our society. Um, but what is the constant theme uh, between uh, e-commerce and um, the Covid pandemic that we went through is is still the basic needs and essential based type retail. Um, Grocery uh, has been transforming uh, into more of an e-commerce setting. And I think as we went through uh, COVID, COVID sped up everything. It ripped the Band-Aid off of any retailer that was high levered, uh, did not have an e-commerce platform, and they went to the wayside. Um, What we have been truly amazed uh, about during COVID uh, is the rise of e-commerce businesses going into the bricks and mortar platform and when you think of e-commerce you think of amazon and they're a they're a great company to to follow i mean they're the largest when it comes to the e-commerce side with amazon but now they're transposing and going into the bricks and mortar business with their grocery stores um and trying to figure out the bricks and mortar business. Um, What we found out during COVID is that people still like to feel and touch um, what they're gonna sleep on, like Casper to shoes, like Allbirds, and different companies like that. And what those companies started to realize in dealing with e-commerce because everybody was at home is that returns are highly inefficient. Uh, They can't uh, figure out uh, that last mile, nor can they get the shoe that didn't fit back to them in an efficient manner. Uh, So the bricks and mortar platform has just been exploding with a lot of e-commerce businesses.
0: It's interesting you say that. Um, I I was going to throw in there, you know, that Amazon, for instance, and there are Others as well, you order something online, sight unseen, you get it, it's missing a piece, Um, you call them to return it, and they're like, just keep it.
1: Just keep it. Just keep it. (laughs) Yes, that's right. And um, it's it's just amazing what those companies are spending uh, in the shipping costs of trying to perfect uh, customer satisfaction
0: yeah and, and i know uh,
1: it's
0: amazing and with amazon again you know now that they have the the footprint with whole foods the return process has gotten much simpler um not for the larger big ticket items but for you know smaller items if something doesn't work you just take it into your local whole foods and hand it
1: to them um, and they take care of the rest yep that's true with the uh, lots of uh, of companies uh, that are really thriving, they have that mixed bag of where you can come to a bricks and mortar store, even though you ordered it online, and that's that. That trend is going to continue uh, to explode.
0: So, I was reading that uh, the U.S. has more retail space per capita than any other developed country in the world, um, which I can totally see um and countless times we've heard we're over retailed um you know you you have centers that are built they stay vacant um when retailers move out they stay vacant yet there are still very strong performing retail centers what do you think would you uh believe that the attributes of a strong performing center um
1: are you know when you look at, uh, you say that we're over-retailed. Americans spend more, uh, <laughs> frankly, uh, and with no new construction that has been built on a re- relevant manner, uh, existing retail is thriving. Um, in our particular space, um, with community and neighborhood shopping centers, we look at the main thing is. The access and when we see that you can get to a piece of property we are looking at the synergy amongst tenants Uh, and are those tenants destination uh, uses you know uses and how do we create a better environment um, for those particular centers so i do not believe uh, that our uh, and our neighborhood community side is, is over retailed at all. And with no new construction coming online and, and, you know, the costs associated with trying to build something new nowadays, even if you can get uh, some of the products to put those things together with. So I don't think that's going anywhere uh, in the future either.
0: Um, kind of in relation to that, uh, prior to the pandemic, um, There was this effort for vacant malls and and neighborhood centers, community centers to re-tenant with more, you know, experiential type tenants. Uh, For example, I I remember uh, one of our brokers on the East Coast was looking at uh, axe throwing in a bar. (laughs) You go into a cage, you throw an axe, you drink a beer. Uh, What could go wrong? Um, right. So... With that experiential type tenant, do you see because of, you know, social distancing, whether it's, you know, going to be ingrained in us for the foreseeable future, do you see that trend continuing? Or do you think that the pandemic has changed that and that we're going to be moving away from those types of tenants?
1: I think there's still be a need for uh, experiential type product more in the urban uh, higher uh, density areas. From our neighborhood and community side with synergies, it's what's really amazing is that the stores themselves are trying to create experiential uh, experiences inside their stores. Um, It's not necessarily an experiential use, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make the uh, you know search and recovery for value, right? You know, they want to have a a uh, have that customer come in and really find the best deal. And that customer might've found that deal online. And those stores have adapted uh, to once that customer comes in uh, to give them the best experience possible. So to answer your question long and short, it, it has transformed because of mass gatherings. There's not as many of them, but there's still a need for them more in a dense urban setting, not necessarily in our neighborhood community side.
0: You just brought up an interesting point about the customer buying something online and then going into the store to pick it up. And and I've done this. um, Is there, within retailers, is there a trend then to not only get them to buy the object online, so let's say you buy a coffee cup, but then when you get into the store, somehow... Creating an experience where they'll be like, oh, I've got a coffee cup. I need to go buy coffee or I need to go buy a coffee maker. Uh, (laughs) It's funny you say that.
1: I just did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, You got me. I see SC, Tom, put out a report uh, a couple of years ago and and before the pandemic and it was called the halo effect. And the Halo effect is when a consumer shops online, they purchase it, and within I don't hold me to this, but it was like comes back in within two weeks to a physical store. And the average spend is a couple hundred dollars more uh, versus when they come in pick up their online order, they end up spending a couple hundred dollars more coming into the bricks and mortar store. But what I found interesting about that it also, works both ways when they come into a bricks and mortar store, but then go home and then buy something online from that store. So it works both ways. Um, so yes, I am guilty of buying the (laughs) coffee maker, uh, when I just need a coffee cup. Um, so yes, I'm with you. So,
0: um, back to changes within tenant profiles, tenant mix, um, have, you seen and even you as a landlord um are you looking at accepting non-traditional tenants as a way to diversify the tenant mix now more than in the past for example I, i you know one of the centers um near where i live they've now added uh there's like a a dialysis Um, center. There's uh, a a gym. There's, you know, I wouldn't say completely non-traditional, but not in what you would think of when you walk into like a neighborhood or community center.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to drive traffic uh, to our centers. You know, not too long ago, just, oh, when I say not too long ago, five, six years ago, uh, gyms, uh were looked at as in a a negative way to have in your shopping center um and now um some gym locations are driving more traffic than grocery stores uh to a particular neighborhood or community anchored center um so alternative uses not only with gyms churches but the medical side is exploding um from you know the physical therapy side Um, to walk-in clinics. Um, It's exploding as well. Also non-traditional. I mean would you envision going to a lumber liquidators uh, that's in line in a shopping center? They're going in line. Um, We just put one in in uh, Muncie, Indiana. So it's uh, different uses are accepted uh, by those tenants.
0: Um, So when we look at that, so we've got new uses, medical, more need for parking, typically, Um, you know, your lumber liquidators, maybe, you know, larger vehicles, and then you mix that with the fact that a drive-through is crazy busy everywhere. It's funny, it, it took a little road trip with the family, and the... Line to go inside and get your coffee at Starbucks was like two minutes. If we would have waited in the drive through line, it would have been like 20. So you've got that factor. And then you also have now the package pickup, uh, you know, the deliver to your car when you park out there. How, you know, how do you see that altering the configuration of your properties?
1: Yes, uh, for all uses, restaurants, uh, curbside pickup. Uh, is crucial to be able to to manage the f- traffic flow for, for the parking lot. It's it's crucial and drive throughs. If you can, we have uh, engaged architects to look at uh, within our centers, tearing down vacant suites to put drive throughs through the middle of a shopping center. Wow. Uh, so it's Kroger is doing that um, with their pharmacy pickup. Um, so, yes, it's very relevant. But what else we're doing that the other thing that you did mention, you know, with electric cars, right?
0: Right. So there you go.
1: We're doing uh, leases, like we just did one in um, Roanoke, Virginia with uh, Rivian. So, doing the uh, EV charging stations. Um, what that does is that benefits everybody because that increases your dwell time. But those are one of the things that you need to account for. Uh, within your 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 shopping center Um, it's it's definitely transforming and as long as you're being proactive and have those discussions uh, it can be managed
0: yeah I I can see uh, the electric charging stations um, again road trip you drive by all the electric charging stations are right there by the fast food restaurants and I can really see that uh, driving um demand uh, additional demand for the retail centers so we're a more mobile workforce at this point um geographically where do you see the best opportunities for retail suburbs tertiary freestanding city centers
1: um suburbs and and tertiary is where we've always thrived um we've always uh, tried to be on the the crust uh, of density. Um, we feel very comfortable in, uh, in those uh, particular markets and um, we get a better feel of the community uh, that we're going into and the neighborhoods that we're trying to serve.
0: Um, do you, with, and I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit here, but uh, do you see that you're an increased competition for those markets from atypical players, uh, for example, you know, is, is you know, a larger retail investor now saying, hey, there's lots of demand in these smaller tertiary markets and cap rates are a little higher. So let's start looking there.
1: Absolutely. It's been extremely challenging. Um, and. We have um, we we have we sold nine shopping centers last year, and out of the nine we sold to were non three were non retail owners. Um, they were uh, apartment uh, type operators moving out of that to come into our retail space because, as you know, it's hard to find yield, uh, and that's what they're chasing. Um, so it, it's it's been very challenging, and it's, we've had to rely on our uh, relationships more and more to find uh, investments for us that fit. Um, so it's it's been challenging.
0: I want to get back to dive into that a little deeper, but you know, let's let's summarize twenty twenty one as far as what surprised you most. Um, in the retail market uh, last year?
1: Um, The absolute resilience of mom and pop operators. Because when you think about that, that is their livelihood. Uh, That's that business they started from scratch, uh, and they're ingrained uh, in that being successful. Uh, And looking back uh, and going through uh, the pandemic, I think, I was amazed by their strength and also amazed how a lot of the national and regional uh, um, tenants wanted to play hardball. Uh, It was tough to have communications uh, with them, even though they had fortress balance sheets. uh, A lot of times it it was challenging uh, to work together. Um, And what also we saw was one of the best leasing years ever. I mean, and talking about a roller coaster of a ride, uh, we saw a lot of people, uh, a lot of people just didn't want to work for others anymore. Uh, they didn't want to have their guidelines. So they opened their own business. Um, so we saw a tremendous amount of startups with all different types of concepts and, and, and franchises. So when I look back, uh, I look at the, the entrepreneurial spirit uh, that we have uh, on fire um within our neighborhood community uh, centers
0: so let's chat a little bit about your company and, and really the retail climate in general tell me a little bit about your strategy when you're you know looking at a market or looking at assets what is it that gets you excited about a particular asset or a particular market
1: um Well, what we try to do is uh, we want to be in the way of progress. Um, The progress of that particular community uh, with its school system, its hospitals, uh, you know, the the job uh, story. We try to find that story of what can we do better for that asset? And and sometimes uh, we don't have an answer. Um, That particular owner, operator is doing a great job, and we 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 can't buy that asset just because we can't do anything better to improve it uh, with the synergies among uh, the tenant lineup or how the center looks or is managed and it's it's sometimes we we just can't do any better. Uh, but we try to be in a way of progress and and see how we can better serve that community.
0: So the regions that you're investing in, um, it, yeah, this kind of the southeast um, mid-atlantic what is it about those regions that is of particular instance is it simply just proximity to where you live or is there more to it than that
1: it's 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 pretty simple it's not rocket science I mean we're we're tracking uh, job growth uh, throughout uh, those communities that I said earlier you know we're trying to be on the on the crust of that density where uh, those towns are are growing, um, and and we try to put ourselves um, in the thick of it with uh, that job growth, um, and also just kind of looking to the future of what uh, people want. As you saw a, a flight out of urban areas, people people moving outside of downtowns. Um, we try to serve those people that want to have maybe a little piece of a uh, little piece of America.
0: <laughs> so is there a reason you targeted neighborhood and community centers as opposed to you know old mall properties or single tenant is it again at proximity
1: it, it just because yeah. of that's what's in the areas when you get down into the weeds you know when you look at neighborhood and community centers You have a known customer base, you know, we can cater to that shopper. We use uh, the same things that a lot of operators use uh, similar like Placer and to know where that shopper is living, coming from, drive times and what they're looking for. And if it's not there, maybe we can provide it. Uh, So it's a little more simplistic. Uh, It's easier to track. And uh, then we can hopefully add uh, some synergies uh, to that synergy. Kind of use more of a rifle approach uh, on those assets uh, versus a shotgun approach.
0: So you mentioned earlier about uh, the mom and pop tenants and their resiliency over the the course of the pandemic. Do they make up a large portion of your tenant base now and If not, is that, you know, given what has happened, is that something that you would maybe take an easier look at, like a mom-and-pop tenant coming to move in as opposed to like a big national tenant, knowing that that mom-and-pop tenant is going to work to keep their business afloat and really hang in there? Uh,
1: Absolutely. We definitely give more uh, wherewithal to mom-and-pop tenants than we did in the past. Uh, you know, our our, from a leasing standpoint, uh, portfolio wise, we're in the 90s from an occupancy standpoint, but our goal is, is to be the lowest cost provider, uh, in that neighborhood community. Um, we want the, the B center in an A location. Um, and that way that allows us, uh, to provide a nice occupancy cost to that mom and pop or or tenant uh to be successful and if they're successful we're successful
0: so you it, we addressed the competition for deals a little bit a minute or so ago um do you when you're going into a market is there more competition right now has that resulted in cap rate compression um or is it kind of holding firm
1: uh, there has been significant uh, cap rate compression over over 21. You had the pent-up uh, cash from 20 trying to find assets. Uh, 21, we saw um, cap rates compressed on, across the board uh, from grocery anchor to uh, essential-based uh, type retail. Every bit of a, of a point to, to two points uh, on the cap rates. Um, but that goes back to us uh, in what we do. We have to be patient because uh, we're buying, uh, you know, existing shopping centers because we believe there's a great uh, discount to replacement cost, And that allows us to hopefully work a little magic uh, to provide a better product uh, in that in that neighborhood.
0: So I was like to ask my guests, um, <laughs> your uh, that crystal ball you have sitting on your desk. Where do you see um, fundamentals? Uh, you know, whether it's cap rates um, when we're talking market fundamentals, is, where do you see operational fundamentals going forward? Do you, is it like totally rosy, or you know, are there some clouds on the horizon?
1: don't we all want that crystal ball Uh, from a market standpoint first um, we see uh, some easing up of the cap rates uh, going in uh, towards probably the third quarter this year Uh, product type that's out there in our world right now we haven't seen much value add a lot of it's been uh, stabilized Uh, I think uh, we'll start seeing more value add uh, type opportunities uh, in the future, uh, along with a little bit easing of cap rates, uh, You know, tracking the rise of uh, following the rise of interest rates uh, that we'll have this year. So I, I believe we're going to have some great opportunities uh, moving forward. Uh, we just need to be patient and pick our spots um, from an operating standpoint to your question. Uh, we're continually. Uh, trying to be more efficient, but it's not rocket science. This is this is real estate 101. We need a, a great location and a good story for us to perform um, and we're continually looking at data and different data platforms to make us better uh, to help find uh, that shopper that would like to to visit one of our centers.
0: Brian, this has been very interesting for me and, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. It's uh, it, w- it was great to hear about where you see the retail market going as well as, you know, the tidbits of of what you've seen in the individual markets where you have a footprint. I want to thank you for joining us. This has been great. How do our followers contact you if, you know, they have an asset they want to show you?
1: Uh, the, Tom, first of all, thank you uh, again for, for having me on. Uh, the best way you get, they can just reach out uh, then connect to me personally on LinkedIn. Uh, also, then go to our website um, and, and reach out that way, www.bcwoodproperties.com. And just really looking forward to making new relationships. And hopefully this uh, podcast will allow us, uh, allow us to do that.
0: Excellent. As a reminder to our listeners, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to and like the CRE with CBC Worldwide podcast on your favorite pod app. And also be sure to check out our older episodes. There's a lot of great stuff that we've done. This is Tom Hershey with Coldwell Banker Commercial. Thanks for tuning in.